will love that. Download our app today and enjoy tackle-busting benefits with great odds, more markets, and same-game multi every NRL match at Palmer Bear. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. Welcome everyone to Fergon Freak. I'm your host, the Glorious Leg Freak. Andrew's not here tonight because he's on special assignment. So you've just got me going solo. Also, that's what she said. Um, really interesting NRL Magic round, which looked like it could have been marred by really poor weather. It was absolutely teeming down for two of the three days. But in a weird way, the weather kind of added to the spectacle and really, we saw some really good football over the weekend. We also saw some really weird things happen, some spectacular things happen, and there's already been a little bit of fallout from the round. So I guess the first thing to talk about is the fallout. And after the very first game of the round, which was a 16 points to 6 win to the Newcastle Knights over the Canterbury Bulldogs, the Bulldogs board has called an emergency meeting to discuss the future of Coach Trent Barrett at the Bulldogs. Now, obviously on the podcast, we have said many, many different times what we think about Trent Barrett as a coach. I think his record really speaks for itself. His record is diabolical. Um, there's no, there's nothing in his coaching history over two different clubs now that really shows he has the ability to make a club better and if anything, he's made clubs worse. And I think the really damning thing is that this year, he has a lot more talent at the Bulldogs, and they're still terrible. Now, there's a lot of people that will say, well, he's not out there dropping balls and throwing bad passes and all that sort of thing. But you tend to find that a team gets led by their coach and the standards that he sets. He is the boss and Trent Barrett is just not very good at being the boss of a football club, unfortunately. Um, the other thing is, I saw people saying, well, you know, they're having this emergency meeting. It doesn't necessarily mean that Trent Barrett will be sacked. I can't think of a coach in the history of any sport ever that hasn't been, that hasn't needed the board to have an emergency meeting over them, who has then gone on to not get sacked or to have any sort of success. Like, it's the beginning of the end. The only thing that's worse is when you get the full support of the board. And it's funny that all of this has happened in the same week that Phil Gould actually come out and said that Trent Barrett is a long-term coach of the Bulldogs and he will be at the club longer than Phil Gould will be. So, you know, we've talked about it. We've said Phil Gould is going to get rid of this guy. It seems as though the board is going to do it for him. Now, that begs the question, who will coach the Bulldogs? There's not too many candidates that are really good fits, I don't think. My hope for entertainment's sake is that Phil Gould steps in and coaches the Bulldogs. Now, I know that that would be crazy. I think it would be a terrible idea. But part of me just wants to see what happens. You know, the Bulldogs season is pretty much shot as it is. A new coach, I think you would want to see them come in towards the end of the year. 
and you know have that preseason with the club and and not really take over this mess of a situation start afresh and I wonder if Phil Gould would step in for the rest of the season part of me thinks that he will not do that and my feeling is that he would much rather be a possible coach than an actual coach he's also getting on in years I don't know that he would want to do the workload that a full-time coach has. I think he prefers to be the supposed saviour and be in the background and do all that sort of stuff. So I don't think he will step in. But that brings me to the next point. If you are a coach and you decide you want to coach the Canterbury Bulldogs and the board offers you this job, the first thing you say is, I will only take this job if you get rid of Phil Gould. And here's my reasoning. If you're a good, well-rounded coach, you don't need Phil Gould. You don't need the role that he is currently in. Craig Bellamy doesn't have a guy over the top of him. Okay, He doesn't need one. Wayne Bennett has never needed a guy over the top of him. He's never needed one. Even when Ivan Cleary got back to Penrith and he kind of got his feet back underneath him again, Phil Gould was out. And Gould himself even said, look, the long-term idea was that this club would get to a point where they didn't need Phil Gould doing that role. And that's what happened at Penrith. I don't think that as a new coach, you want to come in and have Phil Gould hovering in the background because there's two things. Number one, you don't need him. He's just access to to your football club department. He is money that's being spent and he's another voice and you want your voice to be the voice. You know, if you're a first grade coach, you want to be the, the boss. That's the job. You want to run everything. You don't need another guy who either wants to put his, his opinion in or is given another voice to the board. You don't want any of that. The second thing is, Phil Gould tends to drag a long drama with him in one way or another, whether he manufactures it or what. There's just always some sort of drama there. And look, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago when he took over the coaching of the Bulldogs, and I think it was only for a session, and the Bulldogs won that weekend. That was terrible. That was undermining Trent Barrett in the worst possible way. And the writing was on the wall at that point. Like Trent Barrett's, and he would have known it. If he was smart, he would have known it. So that brings us to the point of who do they get in as a coach? And when do they come in? I think if I was a new coach of the Bulldogs, as I said, I'd want to take over at the end of the season. I don't want to come in and clean up this mess. Um, my feeling is that the coach will be Cameron Seraldo who is an assistant coach at the Penrith Panthers. He's actually been the dude who has coached them in the last two games. One of those was a loss to the Parramatta Eels. Um, This weekend, it was a very impressive win over the Melbourne Storm. Ivan Cleary has not been able to coach the side because he's got, I think he's got something weird like an infection in his knee, which is kind of strange. But anyway, um, I think Seraldo has been offered a number of first grade jobs and he has turned them down waiting for the right opportunity, which is a smart thing to do. And I believe that this 
is probably not a bad situation to come into at the end of the year because they're going to clear out a little bit of salary cap space this season. There's going to be a few players that leave the club at the end of this year. They've got an influx of talent as well, so they'll get Viliami Kikau. They'll get, get Reed Marnie as well, and that's two massive holes in this Bulldogs side that will be filled. And they've also got some quality players there, you know, Burton, uh, Josh Adokar. You've got players you can build around at that point. Now, I think that they should be pushing for a final spot last uh, this season, sorry, next season. But I thought that this season as well, and that's been, I've been completely off the mark with that. But I think it's also fair to say that the Bulldogs have been absolutely terrible as well compared to where their expectations should have been. So I think Cameron Seraldo is the guy that's going to get the job. But who else is there? Well, you've got Shane Flanagan. Now, I think any club that has Shane Flanagan come on board as a coach is mad. I think when you look at the mess that he made of the Cronulla Sharks and and all of the integrity issues that were involved in that mess, I just don't want him near the club. You've also got the issue where his son is already at the club. And I just think it's a problem you don't want to bring to the club. There's not really too many other names out there that I can think of. I mean, Jeff Tuvey would be another really good name to bring to the club. I think that um, he'd be somebody that could lift the standards. He did really well at Manly. Um, he came into a not a great situation at Manly too, and he did really well with the club for a very long time. I don't think they should have got rid of him, to be honest with you. They replaced him with Trent Barrett. It's ridiculous. So he would be another person that I would look at as a possible coach. Um, I had some English fans saying, would they look at Christian Wolf, who is currently co- coaching St. Helens? Now, the thing about Christian Wolf is, I feel as though you've got to be careful with these coaches that are lower-grade coaches that take over international teams and do well with them. And I think we saw that with Brian McLennan. You know, Brian McLennan come in to the New Zealand side, uh, coach New Zealand, really lifted them immediately. Everyone said, oh, wow, this guy's a super coach. Then he started coaching in Super League. And, you know, coaching in Super League and being successful in Super League doesn't mean you're a good coach. It just doesn't. And we've seen the results of that many, many times. I don't need to go into that. But then he went to the Warriors. He ended up at the New Zealand Warriors. And it was just clear he was so far off the pace, um, so far out of his depth. It doesn't mean that he's not good as Tonga's coach, Christian Wolf. It doesn't mean that at all. If you get a co if you get a team, an international team, and a representative team, and you can bring them together, you can make them gel, and you can win games, that's all you can ask of someone. And Christian Wolf's record is I mean, it's a marker in international rugby league history, let's face it. You know, he's coaching Tonga and they beat Australia. They beat everyone. They beat everyone. He has no questions to ask there. But coaching an NRL side is a completely different thing. It's it's like coaching a state of origin team and then coaching an NRL side. Completely different thing. Um, I think at times Laurie Daly was really good as a, the New South Wales coach. Mal Meninga is the greatest state of origin coach in history. Both of those guys as NRL club coaches, no. 
No, it just doesn't work. Mal Meninga wasn't a very good club coach. He just wasn't. His record wasn't good. So I don't think Christian Wolf would be the guy that uh, the Canterbury Bulldogs would be looking at. I think what they'll want is an established coach, somebody that's got a track record, which is something that Trent Barrett really hasn't really got much of, even after being at two different clubs. I think they'll want somebody that's a professional, that's been there, that's done that. They don't want to take another flyer. So, um, you know, and I understand that there's questions about Seraldo because he hasn't been a first-grade coach, really. You never know if somebody's going to be a first-grade coach until they are a first-grade coach. And we've seen that time and time and time and time and time again. Adam O'Brien is another great example. These super coaches that, you know, they're the next big thing and then they come along and you kind of wait for it and wait for it and wait for it and that doesn't happen. And uh, unfortunately for Trent Barrett, he will end up being the poster boy of the supposed next super coach. And it's going to be interesting to see if they fire him immediately this week, uh, who will be the interim coach, whether it will be one of his assistants or Phil Gould. And, you know, or whether they say to him, look, we're giving you to the end of the year. And if they do that, will Barrett walks immediately or will he stay there and, you know, take the money? Who knows? Who knows? But at the end of the day, it's never good when you've got an emergency meeting about your job. Uh, And so Trent Barrett's time at the Bulldogs is numbered. And it seems like Bulldogs fans were pretty excited about it on Twitter when I had a look before um, they've been calling for him to leave for a long time. And the other interesting thing about Bulldogs fans is they're really pissed off at Phil Gould. Um, they're not happy with him at all. Apparently, he's been blocking a lot of them on Twitter, and they haven't liked that. But they just haven't liked the way that he's backed Barrett in the face of so many terrible results. And, you know, that's fair enough. I, I can't believe it's taken this long for Bulldogs fans to start really blowing up about the way the club has been run in terms of the football club side of it anyway. Now, the big clash from Magic Round was the Penrith Panthers taking on the Melbourne Storm. The Panthers were coming off a loss. The Storm were coming in looking just unbelievable, but they had lost Pappenhausen. And then basically the morning of the match, we found out that uh, Hughes was out as well. And that was huge. Because I'd picked the Melbourne Storm to win the game. You know, I thought that they were they were going to be hard to beat in this game. But with Hughes out, it kind of tipped the balance a little bit. And I was wondering if I should go and tip the Panthers on the tipping competition. But I thought, no, nah, I can't really do that. I've got to stick with my tips. If I tip someone in the week, I'm going to stick with them no matter what, even if there's a late out. Because it's, otherwise it just feels a bit cheaty, you know. So I stuck with the Storm. Um, and even with those outs, I thought it would be a really titanic struggle. I really did. Especially when it started raining, you know, and it's a bit ominous. It's like, well, a storm during a storm, how is it all going to go? It was probably played in the worst conditions over the weekend. And it shocked me what we saw. The Panthers completely dominated the storm in a way that I was trying to think how many teams have we seen really dominate the storm like that say over the last 10 years or so, because when you start getting you know, further back than that, you, you start forgetting games here and there. I think we've seen the Manly Seagulls, obviously, dominate the Storm. They had that big grand final victory over them. 
And this game, it was just unbelievable. Like, the Panthers absolutely strangled the life out of the Storm, as we've seen them do so many times before to other teams. And it was shocking to see them do it to the Storm. You know, in attack, they really pried the Storm apart at times, which is what we don't normally see. And I heard some of the commentators during the match talking about, like, have we seen this Storm team basically running through opposition sides and, you know, playing almost Harlem Globetrotter-style football, and then all of a sudden they come up against a properly good team in the Panthers, and the Panthers are a little bit battle-hardened. They had that loss on the, well, last weekend to the Parramatta Eels at home. That was a bitter pill for them to swallow, and they kind of come into this, you know, game sort of breathing fire. There might have been a little bit of that, but, it, you know, it was just one of those performances that were very unstorm-like, and the crazy thing to me was that it wasn't just about what the Storm were doing themselves. It was about what the Panthers were not letting the Storm do. Now, obviously, if you take out their halfback and you take out their extremely potent attacking fullback, they're going to be a different beast. And one of the interesting things about this game I found was that I kind of looked at it through different lens than I would have even this time last year. This time last year, I kind of would have looked at it as a case of, okay, the Panthers, who hadn't won the Premiership yet, keep in mind, the Panthers are going in and I want them to learn something from the Storm. I want them to perform well, hopefully win the game, but for the most part, I want them to learn from the Storm. In this game, as they're, to, almost to the point where you could say they were almost kicking the storm's ass. All I kept thinking was, yeah, this is nice, but it's not the finals. And it was a very weird position for me to be in as a Panthers fan because I have never really felt that feeling ever as a Panthers fan. Keep in mind, when the Panthers have been good in the past, we've been good for very small parts of, you know, time. You know, our... our premiership run in the early 90s where I, I mean I was so young it was hard to really enjoy that properly but we weren't very good for very long and then in 2003 we sort of come out of nowhere and all of that was kind of done and dusted by 2006 you know in two, even in 2005 we were a bit of a spent force by 2006 we're done you know now you've got this Panthers team who they're very young They've been in two straight grand finals. They won the last grand final. And everything changes. Your expectation on the team changes. And it was very strange to sort of watch this game. And they're smashing the Storm, who had been leading the competition for the last week. And all I could think of was like, none of it really matters until the finals. You know, the Panthers now, and, and the Storm as well, they're well ahead of the competition they're probably going to finish one and two unless something really dramatic happens during the Origin series and both teams go on a really bad losing streak or something like that. But, you know, these two teams, they're like, their focus is so far down the track. And so my feeling really was, it was like, yeah, this, this is nice. This is cool. But it doesn't really matter. This isn't what these two teams are about. So I don't know that 
there's anything you can really get out of this game, I guess is the end result. I think that you can look at this as a one-off performance. It was fun to watch these two teams play against each other. I wish the Storm had have been at full strength. Um, I was very happy with the Panthers' performance. They did what you would have wanted them to do against the opposition they were faced with. But I don't think this is a marker for what we'll see down the track. I don't think it's a marker for what we'll see in the finals. I think that is going to be completely different. And this can only be looked at as a standalone game. And and I think that's it. That's all you can look at it as. Um, now, the interesting thing was that last week, the Parramatta Eels beat the Penrith Panthers. And the Eels are the only team this season that has beaten the Storm and the only team that has beaten the Panthers, apart from the Panthers beating the Storm, obviously. And I tipped the Parramatta Eels to lose against the Roosters for one thing alone. It wasn't that I thought that the Roosters were a better team. It wasn't about who was that, you know, they're both playing away from home. It wasn't about preparation. It wasn't about any of that. I just felt it was going to be the most Parramatta thing in the world for them to get a win like that over the Panthers at home, break their home winning streak, and then shit the bed and lose their next game. And they did that. Um, it ended up being close at the end, but they still lost. And I found that a little bit interesting. Um, you know, that first half, they were pretty poor. They come home with a bit of a wet sail. Um, the Roosters, I don't think, are as good as you hear commentators and people in the, the corporate media talking about. I think that the Roosters, you know, they're, they're a sixth. A couple of injuries, they could be a seventh trying to hold on to eighth place team on the ladder you know what i think that this is a really weird season for them they're almost trying to rebuild on the run and i think during this rebuild some of the young dudes that they want to be good in the forwards are a season or two away from being good forwards and then some of their older forwards are probably a season or two long in the tooth and so there's that little bit of a gap there where I just think that this is a funny season for them. This is one of those ones they've kind of got to endure to uh, to get to where they want to go. But they've still got some pretty good pieces there. And we saw some of those pieces on show. Um, you know, it's, it's weird to think that the Parramatta Eels lost this game. They really, really should have won this one. And it makes you wonder about the Eels and... Where you have them. You know, I was thinking about the Eels coming into this game and they're always confident. There's a lot of noise that comes out of the Eels when they have a big win. And that's fair enough. You've got to enjoy your wins, you know. You've got to really enjoy them. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'm looking at these this Eels team and I'm thinking to myself, you know, this is a team that hasn't been in a grand final. Canberra Raiders have been in a grand final more recently. This isn't an Eels team that has had, you know, success where they've got to the second last weekend. This is an Eels team that's won a minor premiership. It's an Eels team that really hasn't done anything yet. And I think sometimes they maybe get ahead of themselves. And whether that's a function of they have these really great wins and they maybe 
you know, drag something special out of themselves every, I don't know, couple of months even, and it gives them false hope, or they're just that team. They're, you know, the modern day North Sydney Bears of the late 1990s who were a really good regular season team. They were hard to beat. But in the finals, they just always failed every single time. Is that what this Parramatta Eels team is? And the cool thing is we get to play football games and find out, you know. So far, the Eels have not been as good as you would have hoped them to be in the final series. You know, if you think about their big recent final successes, it was an absolute drubbing of the Brisbane Broncos. I think that was maybe 56-0 or something at Parramatta Stadium. And that was an incredible game. You watched that and it felt like a felt like something really special in the first week of the finals. And then I, th- I would say that their next one is that loss last year to the Panthers. And, you know, that that's kind of the high points of their finals. I would dare say that the Panthers had more high points in their finals last season, even before they got to the grand final, than they did, than the Eels have had in the last number of years. And it's a weird thing. It's how do you coach a team like that? How do you keep a team's expectations at the right level when they're beating the two best teams in the competition and they're doing it in this impressive way, but they're not backing it up with other things that you've got to have to be a premiership winner. You know, normally you see teams that are this good or that are this close, they will they will go close and the pain of being so close to maybe making a grand final or beating their big rivals in a final series, that pain is the thing that drives them to become better or to give more or to, you know, just find something within themselves. And, and I feel like we saw that last year from the, the Panthers when, you know, that game against the Storm, when they beat the Storm in the semis, I feel as though that was the Panthers moment where they were coming in against this great Storm team. They had lost to them last year in the, or the previous year in the grand final, and they had been aiming to beat this Storm team for so long. And they just got to that game and it was like, we can't lose this game because if we lose this game, We've got to live with that pain for another 12 months at least and maybe forever because you don't know when it's all going to end. And so we saw that out of the Panthers, you know, and then you saw it again, I think, in the grand final where, you know, there was one point where that grand final was really finely balanced and you don't want to be the team that has to think about a grand final loss for the next 12 months in an ideal situation, because there's plenty of teams that never get back to a grand final after losing it. Um, I don't know that the Eels have that pain in them. And that's a weird thing to me. That's one of those things where you can't teach that. You know, you can't teach that pain of losing a grand final. And I don't see it in the Eels. It's very strange. And look, maybe they're a different team. It might be one of those things where they've got this confidence within themselves and they get to the finals at the end of this year and they've got no scars and that's what gets them through. Sometimes that that is what gets you through and not having scars. Look at the 2005, um, 
West Tigers. They didn't really have any scars going into their final series and, you know, they won the title. It's sometimes that's how it works. I just wonder if that's how it's going to work for this Eels team. It's an interesting dynamic. And the cool thing is that we get to see it all play out. And one of the cool things I think this year, when you look towards the final series, is the fact that the Storm and the Panthers are eyeing each other off. Um, last year's grand final losers in the Rabbitohs, I think they've fallen away too far. You've got the Roosters who are probably not there yet but you can't take them lightly. You've got this Eels team who knows it can beat the top two teams, but who knows what they're going to... Sh- if the- are they going to show up in the finals? You don't know. Um, it- it's really cool to see. And then you've got the, the Cowboys. I mean, I-, I don't even know what to make the Cowboys. Tip them to get the wooden spoon, and they are one of the top teams in the competition this year. And it's not a fluke. It's not a fluke anymore. So... Really cool, really cool season we've got shaping up so far. Now, one of the news items we saw come out, I think it was on Sunday, was the possibility, and this is weird because we've seen a lot of news about expansion in the NRL coming out. There was a little bit of news the other week that PNG would push for an expansion team, but as I saw some people saying, that news normally comes out when there's an election in PNG, and there just happens to be an election in PNG. So you've got to take that with a grain of salt. Um, there have been murmurings about New Zealand and what can be done in New Zealand recently with, you know, talk that the uh, Super Rugby Union competition not going well over there or not being really well received over there over the last couple of years. And is there a chance for Rugby League to get a foot in the door, get a second team in there, kind of make it a you know, the NRL's back when New Zealand opens back up again. I think that would be really cool. I think that would work. And then there's Perth. Now, we saw an article come out today or yesterday when you're listening to this, and it was the North Sydney Bears wanting to be Perth's new team. Now, the Bears do this. They want to be everyone's new team. At one point, they said they wanted to buy the Gold Coast Titans from memory. Another another thing they wanted to do was to be the second Brisbane team that played in Brisbane that also played games at North Sydney's Cricket Oval, which is, in 2023, you know, is an absolutely fucking ridiculous idea, I'm sorry to say. But now they're kind of trying to do this thing where they're trying to get their foot in the door at Perth. I don't know if Perth is going to be the one to get the license. At this stage, look, Brisbane was always going to get the license. You got that feeling with the the 17th team. When they do the 18th team, if I had to put money on it, I would say it's going to be a second New Zealand team. And I don't know exactly where that second New Zealand team is going to be. I feel like it will be linked to a stadium or a possible stadium um, construction and that would lead me to think maybe Christchurch, but I'm not, I don't know. I'm just guessing. This is me just guessing. Um, if it is Perth, it needs to be a Perth team. It can't have baggage. I think calling a team the Perth Bears would be kind of weird. There's no Bears in Perth. There's no Bears in North Sydney. But they were called the Bears a long time ago, and it kind of stuck. We've said on the podcast before, and look, Perth Pirates, 
terrible name. Absolutely terrible name. Especially when you look across the Indian Ocean and you see what real pirates do. Just a, not a good name. And it was named after the Pirates of the Caribbean, you know. Um, it's kind of like the Toronto Raptors. They called themselves Raptors because uh, Jurassic Park had come out a few years earlier. But then I think that you could call them the Perth Reds. I, I was never really attached to that name as a rugby league team, but if that's the one that Perth locals like and they've got nostalgia with it, the team is for Perth people and they should be the ones that name it. That should always be remembered. I would love Perth quokkas. I think to have a quokka, a local animal, a, a charismatic animal, the most cute animal you will ever see in the whole world, and then just make this cute little animal just being, try and be mean the whole time, but it's cute. I think that that's the way to go with a Perth rugby league team and the name of the team. I think it'd be really unique. I think when you can have a an Australian animal as your team's mascot, it's really cool. That's why the Parramatta Eels are such a cool name. Um, you know, teams like that, it's fantastic. So I think Perth Quokkas. But this thing about the North Sydney Bears, give, give the Bears credit. They get their name into the media so many times based on absolutely nothing. Whoever their media people are, they're fantastic. Um, bravo to them, but it's a pipe dream. It's not going to happen. And I don't think we will see the North Sydney Bears or the Bears in any capacity in the NRL unless they did something really dramatic and, I don't know, they moved their organisation to, like, Adelaide full-time. And it couldn't be one of these split-game things either, you know, where they play any games in Sydney that are home games. They've got If they want an expansion team, move full-time. But, I, you know... It's not going to happen. Anyway, it's only a short episode because it's me and, you know, I can't bounce things off someone and I don't want to sit here for the next hour ear bashing you with a sermon. I think I've said everything I've got to say from this weekend. Um, any of the other results that jumped out at me this weekend, let me just bring them up. Look, the Knights versus Bulldogs game, it was a bit of a bludger and we've seen the, the fallout from it. I could still see Adam O'Brien getting sacked. Hey, he he's just not a good coach. That that Knights team, even in their win, didn't look good. The Seagulls getting smacked 38-0 by the Broncos was a really interesting game. Um, it's cool to see this young Broncos side kind of finding a bit of form again after they scared us a few weeks ago. Uh, they're pretty high up on the ladder too. And Adam Reynolds is really, really playing well. I know it's been done to death in the corporate media, and I know we haven't talked about it too much on the podcast, but man, you what was South thinking? What was South thinking? There's like, there, look, there are 15 teams in the NRL right now that would love to have Adam Reynolds as their halfback. I think maybe only the Panthers would be happy with uh, their halves combination. I think even the Seagulls, DCE, they love DCE, but I reckon they would have loved to have Reynolds replace Foran. You know, there's there's very few teams that would not have loved Adam Reynolds in their side and South had him and let him go. Really bad decision. Um, the Warriors, they just lost to the Rabbitohs 
But the Rabbitohs won that game early. Their second half was absolutely diabolical. They really turned it up at halftime and let the Warriors almost get back into that game. But yeah, Nathan Brown, good luck with him as your coach. The Titans getting a win over the Dragons. That surprised me a little bit. I'd tip the Dragons. Um, it was always going to be one of those 50-50 contests. The Titans got it up there in Queensland. You know, it's semi-home environment. So, you know, good stuff for them. As we said before, 32 points to six. The Panthers over the Storm. Uh, kind of a shocking game. Um, the Raiders beating the Sharks. What a weird result that was. I did not see that coming. The Raiders showed so much resilience. They had two players sent to the sin bin, rightfully so, for professional fouls. Then they had Alex, uh, sorry, what's his name? Elliot Whitehead. He went into a tackle, uh, and it was uh, Dale Finnegan who went in. He ran the ball from a uh, kickoff, bounced off two players, hit Whitehead's shoulder with his head. Whitehead was kind of just there. And Whitehead got sent to the Symbian. I thought it was a really bad decision because, you know, it was a complete accident. He wasn't even involved in the initial tackle. He was just kind of there when when the play hit him uh, awkwardly. So they had three players in the Symbian over the course of that game. At one point, they were down to 11 players. And the Raiders still won out 30 points to 10 winners. I think Craig Fitzgibbon, if he could do it again, he would... Uh, not mess with his halves combination as much. I think that that really hurt his team. But the Sharks just turned up and just didn't really look like they were ready to play. It was a weird one. The Roosters beating the Eels. Uh, really good start by the Roosters. Eels come back strong, but then the Roosters finished them off. And unfortunately, I didn't get to see the West Tigers lose 36 points to 12 to the Cowboys. But Cowboys kicking ass and doing really, really well. They should be... Man, Cowboys fans must be so ecstatic after after the terrible seasons they've had to endure lately. So the ladder looks like this. The Panthers are out on top by themselves once again. They've got 18 competition points ahead of the Melbourne Storm, who have 16 competition points. Then we're back to the Cowboys, who are incredibly only one win behind the Storm. That's amazing. They're just ahead of the Roosters, who are on 12 points with the Sharks, the Eels, and the Broncos. Then we go down to 8th place, the Rabbitohs, who are on 10 competition points. In ninth place, we have the Manly Seagulls, who are also on 10 competition points, um, just on 4 and against. Then, 8 points, we have the Raiders in 10th, the Warriors in 11th, the Dragons in 12th. Behind them on 6 competition points are the Gold Coast Titans and the Newcastle Knights, who are also on 6 competition points in 14th place. Then we have the West Tigers on four competition points in 15th. And last but not least, the Bulldogs, also four competition points. They're in 16th place. Their for and against is minus 125. They've got the second worst for and against in the competition. Oh, no, they've got the worst for and against in the competition. They're minus 125. The Knights are minus 124. And the West Tigers are minus 106. Anyway, we will have another podcast for you probably uh, within the next 24 hours. And then we will bring you our preview show 
on probably the Wednesday, I would suggest. And Andrew will be there for both. If he's not, we will all get onto social media and we will harass him together, okay? But he, he was. He was on special assignment tonight, so that's all good. So if you're not following us on Twitter, make sure you do. We had Nadine up at Magic Round. She was posting photos from Magic Round, not only to our Twitter feed, which is, if you go to Twitter, it's twitter.com forward slash Pod, but she was also posting to the Instagram account everything that she saw there. Um, so thank you for that, Nadine. She was our representative up there. Uh, she was talking about how it would have been nice if it didn't rain for the first two days, but it sounded like she had fun anyway, so it was awesome to see those photos. Go check them out. You can follow us everywhere that there is a social media outlet. Also, check out the website, fergoandthefreak.com. If you want to send in an email, send it in via your email address. Don't go through the website. So go to podcast at leaguefreak.com. Send an email there. Make the subject uh, podcast and then write whatever you want. You can talk about football. You can talk about your personal life. You can ask us questions about football. You can ask us advice about what you need to do to be a better person. And we'll give you the best advice we can. It might not be right, but it'll be our best. And that's all you can ask for. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. Just go to League Freak. No space, just at League Freak. Go to leaguefreak.com. That's my website. Uh, you can also follow me on Facebook. If you've got a Facebook account, uh, League, just put in leaguefreak.com. It'll come up. I'm also on um, NRL Gossip. I post to that. And Rugby League Infinite. I'm also, I also post to that page too. And they've given me, both of those uh, Facebook pages have given me support for many, many years. And I am always so thankful for their support. They've been fantastic. And they just let me basically post whatever I want to post. And, you know, places like that on the internet, especially in rugby league circles, are few and far between. Uh, a lot of people that run rugby league stuff on the internet are a bit weird. I'll talk about that one day. But anyway, thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the episode. Uh, looking forward to this weekend's games. Catch you soon. Harmabet with the big don't argue. Punters will love that. Download our app today and enjoy tackle-busting benefits with great odds, more markets, and same-game multi every NRL match at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858.